We'll be looking in the scriptures at Mark chapter 3, excuse me, Mark chapter 4. And before we get to that, I just wanted to mention a few things in thanks. It's a busy week this week. And sometimes I forget how busy the week was because the things that happened early seemed so long ago. But this was a busy week, and I want to thank God for faithful people here who worked so hard to minister during this week. It started off with Monday. Remember Monday? We had a funeral here on Monday, and um, it was cold and it was snowy, but our church was host and ready to host because of so many people who work together to minister. I think of, of Jackie, Jackie Holt, who uh, is just always here and always ready to welcome and to minister to people. The first one here, I wasn't here, so I can only imagine the first one here is either Jackie or Charles. Um, both of them are racing to get here and uh, open things up and get things started. I don't know what we would do without those two because they do so many things that you can't even mention um, that, that need to be done. So I'm thankful for Charles. Um, Willie and Mickey, I want to thank you for your work and your cooperation in, in making that happen. Willie and, and Cal and, and uh, Dwayne and and uh, some of our men just uh, welcomed, directed the parking lot, opened the door, and welcomed people there. Cal and Marge, I want to thank you for your ministry and your service there. Um, uh, Cliff, as well, uh, in, in ministering with the men and, and just directing things and welcoming people. Uh, Mickey and Donna for the special music that they uh, provided. It was beautiful, it was very fitting. And uh, it was something that I think Sister Lola would uh, want and, and ask for and thinking of what she requested. One song she did request, I want to thank uh, Chantel and Brian um, for, for uh, that, doing that song, um, Be Still and Know. That was a special request by her. And uh, for um, not just doing that song, but doing the prelude. Um, up to an hour before the service uh, just to play faithfully and set a tone uh, throughout the service. So I'm so thankful for, for all who had a role um, in that and uh, I want to relate to you the family's thanks as well because they, they were touched by, by your ministry and your service. Uh, but that wasn't all of our week. We also met again on Wednesday and uh, we had our, our regular Wednesday crew, that truth seekers that continued to go on and all those who help in that, um, uh, before that got started, I want to thank uh, our leadership team and their wives for meeting as we plan the uh, calendar for the next year. Um, so just some of the things happened that you may not be aware of, um, but just um, those things, um, just thankful to the Lord for, for, for those individuals. And also our regular prayer team. Throughout that busy week, you came and you met here on Wednesday and uh, continued to be faithful in prayer. And I thank the Lord for that. 
Uh, as we mentioned on Saturday, we had our Valentine's Day dinner, and what a blessing that was. I, I can't tell you enough of how, how proud I was and, and thankful to be a part of that and to see uh, Charmone and Lawrence in their leadership. Uh, here it's been 10 years, and uh, wow, they have really done a job in that ministry. And uh, you just had to see the table setting, uh, to see the organization, the gifts that were given. Um, the, the speaker, we had a special speaker uh, this time, our own Andy. And praise God for that and uh, sharing uh, what he shared for our couples. I know some couldn't be here uh, this time, but we have some new groups, uh, new couples that were there as well. And it was just a blessing to see that all take place. And there's some people who work behind the scene with our child care. Uh, uh, um, that, that was just um, so important. Luvia, Janice, um, helping with all kinds of things from setup to clean up. Um, I just appreciate that. And then also our band who played during that time. They prepared for that. And, and did that work as well, and that was a blessing to be a part and a blessing to, 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 to listen as well. Uh, then uh, before even that on Saturday, our choir met and our choir band uh, met, and that's a regular thing, but I don't want to take that for granted. Even though it was a busy week, they still did their, their duty and did their job and, and did well in their rehearsal and preparing for, for what needs to happen for our service and, and then some things happen behind the scene um, during the week that no one would really know. Um, one of the jobs, uh, we're preparing to get our roof done, and uh, I know Andy and Cliff both, and especially Andy in this part, uh, to do the, the paperwork that has to be done for that. The bank and the underwriters are coming back with more stuff, more I's you got to dot and T's you got to cross, and uh, Andy has just handled all that without a single complaint and I praise God for him and for Cliff for organizing that and working through that and then just little things like just little things like on a cold day our heat um, Cliff is one who's who's um, looking around and making sure heaters are working and and uh, ordered and 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 calling the crew to, to come and fix things that need to be fixed and he's working on that even though he's got a full-time job and, and a full-time home life, uh, he's working on that in, in his spare time. So <laughs> I praise God for, for faithful people like that. Last week we didn't have communion, but um, Jackie, again, she was prepared. She had it ready. It was my fault we didn't do it. Uh, we're going to do it this week. Um, so I praise God for, for her uh, faithfulness and service in that. Now, I've mentioned a busy week. That's just one week. But a special mention because there are a few individuals, every group I just mentioned, they were part of that. There are a few individuals who, who were there for every one of those activities. And I'll repeat them again, the funeral, um, the Wednesday crew, the Valentine's dinner, the choir rehearsal and choir band. Uh, and and, uh, and I, I can think of a few that, that did a role in all of that. Cliff is one who had a part in each one of those. And I mentioned him because if you don't know, he drives from Kenosha. <laughs> he's probably the farthest distance. We have a few who, who travel a distance to get here, but he's probably the furthest uh, away. And yet every one of those activities 
Um, and I don't have to call him and say, hey, are you going to do this? Or He just comes and he does it. I praise God for you, Cliff. I thank you for your work, your work and your service. Um, there's a few others who were part of all of that. Donna was a part of each part of those things. I, wanna take, I don't want to take my own wife for granted, especially on Valentine's Day, right? <laughs> She's a hard worker behind the scene, and she does it without complaining. Yesterday over here in Valentine's dinner, there was, you know, um, a person walked in the door, they saw the lights on, and they came, and they needed help. They, they needed some counseling, they needed some help, and who better to call than Donna? I went to, to help her, but Donna, in her own way, just led the charge. She just talked, had a conversation with that woman, invited her to service today, was willing to pick her up, didn't hook up, but it wasn't for lack of, 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 of effort on her part. And we uh, pray that uh, we will reconnect with her. But Donna was one. And uh, two others I can mention that was a part of every one of those activities I mentioned, uh, Brian and Chantel. And again, I don't want to slight them because they're so connected with me, but they were faithful in all of those things, in every one of those areas. And because of their work, they often do things behind the scenes and in preparation for what they do. So I just want to say thank you uh, to, to them both, especially for being a part of every part of that busy week and, and allowing ministry to go on. So thank you. Thank you, all of you, for, for your work. Um, and I just took time to, to mention a few things in this busy week. Um, I don't want you to be discouraged if, if I didn't call your name in that particular instance, but I know, know this, that God tracks your faithfulness, and he rewards it. And uh, he's a better rewarder than anybody else. Um, and so we work for that, don't we? That's really our motivation. But I want to show thanks to those who, who've made that special effort. So let's take a look at our scripture reading this morning in Mark chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, our ushers have Bibles available, and uh, they will be glad to bring one to you if you just ask for it by raising your hand. Mark chapter 4. Let's stand as we Listen to the reading of this chapter in Mark. Again, he began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. 
When he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand these parables, this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others, and others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that, are, that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and, arise, and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself. First the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. And he said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which, when sown on the ground, is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took, him, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke. And rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? 
And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? May God give us understanding in this text that we use for our message today. We'll bow our heads in a word of prayer. Our choir will come after prayer for special music and then the preaching of God's word followed by communion today. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for our opportunity to be here today. And thank you for all that you do and your faithfulness to us. Thank you for how that faithfulness is reflected in your people as we see this week their faithfulness in service. They're faithful during the funeral. Their faithfulness during our Wednesday services, their faithfulness during our Saturday events, a choir and a choir band and Valentine's dinner and all the preparation for that and so many things that happen behind the week, behind the scenes this week. We thank you for a special group who just are part of so many things and yet they remain faithful. Thank you for them. We pray that that faithfulness will continue and that you would urge us all in whatever responsibilities that we have to be faithful. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please be seated. I'll be singing that song all week. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> That's what it's there for. Amen. I've really enjoyed this series and study going through Mark, and we come again in Mark chapter 4. I just want to draw your attention in our time together in Mark 4. We see seven um, sections in this chapter. We see the parable of the sower, something we're very familiar with. Then he explains, or he, he gives a purpose of parables in verse 10 through 12. He explains the parable of the sower, verses 13 through 20. He talks about a lamp under a basket, verse 21 through 25. Then a couple other parables. The parable of the seed growing verses 26 through 29, the parable of the mustard seed, 30 through 34, and then Jesus calms the storm, verses 35 through the end of the chapter, verse 41. So those are the seven events. If you have a, a, a study Bible, you probably have those headings uh, that way. And it's a good thing to, 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 to follow along and to see um, how the chapter is divided into its little sections. Um, and we're going to go through those sections today, and I want you to be thinking of how these sections fit together, because the writer, um, directed by the Holy Spirit, is delivering a message to us. We've noticed in the first part of Mark, there's a message that proclaims Jesus' authority. We saw that that was the key to understanding, and we're still under that same section. His authority is, is being proclaimed, but what we notice is a few different things. First of all, in the first part of Mark, he demonstrates his authority by healing a man with an unclean spirit, by healing a paralytic man in, in, in chapter 2. He defends his disciples who plucked the grain in, in the fields and ate on the Sabbath day in chapter 2. He defends them. That shows his authority. He says, this shows you that, that I am Lord of the Sabbath as well. 
He was showing, declaring his authority. In chapter 3, last week we saw him heal the man with the withered hand by simply telling the man to stretch his hand out. He's showing his authority. And uh, do you remember his response to those who were looking at him during that time? Jesus became angry. Why was he? It says he was angry and grieved. What angered Jesus? Remember that? He's in a synagogue. He's about to heal this man. He asked him a question. He says, hey, y'all think it's right for me to heal him on the Sabbath? Is that okay? Is it good to do that or is that not good? And they were silent. Jesus' response was he was angry at them. Why? For their hardness of heart. He was angry at them because of their hardness of heart. What we're seeing is, in Mark, we, we're seeing Jesus' authority uh, is, is, is demonstrated. And just like in our day-to-day, -day, when you demonstrate proper authority, everybody don't accept it, everybody don't like it, and some people push back. In fact, a lot of people push back. People don't even realize today we have an authority problem. We have a huge authority problem. We have parents trying to act like friends when they need to be authorities in their homes. We have it in our schools. We have it in our culture as a general, in general. We have an authority problem. And Jesus faced people who had authority problems then too. We mentioned last week that when, when Jesus uh, demonstrates his authority, that's a threat to some people. And some people didn't like that. So what's happening is, as Jesus demonstrates his authority, we see his authority being challenged. We see it being challenged. We see the scribes questioning Jesus of, of what do you mean you forgive this man of his sin? What authority do you have to do that? They're challenging Jesus' authority. The Pharisees questioned Jesus for eating with sinners. Remember, he called Levi to himself, and he had a meal over Levi's house. And, and, and they said, hey, you're eating with, with uh, 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 sinners. Why are you doing that? They're challenging his authority. Remember what he said? The doctor didn't come to see the well. He came to see the sick. I got authority to, 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 to do what I'm doing. I have to get your permission to do it. I know what I'm about. I know where my authority comes from, and I'm, a, I'm about that. I'm doing that. And so what we're beginning to see is a contrast of the groups of those who are following Jesus. We noted this in the last chapter, that there are some who are following him out of fascination. They, they just like to see a great thing. They're there for the show. And there's some, we saw last week, that, that Jesus, he called the 12 to himself. He's calling them to faith. And they're not just merely fascinated with Jesus, but they understand his authority, submit to that authority, and they follow him. So we're seeing a divide. When Jesus comes on the scene, often it creates a division because of the hardness of heart. We see that happening. And so we see different responses to Jesus' authority, and it's coming to a head. Remember what happened in, in chapter 3 when Jesus healed the man in, in the temple, excuse me, in the synagogue. In verse 6, it says, The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel, held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. 
They didn't think about, okay, let's just uh, quietly put this man out. They wanted to totally destroy Jesus. Things are coming to a head quickly in the Gospel of Mark, and we see Jesus doing something. What does he do? Chapter 4 begins, he began to teach. He begins to teach. What are we going to see in Jesus' teaching? You'll notice in chapter 4, Mark was a busy chapter. It's, it's full of action, right? Jesus is doing this, and then he did this, and then he did this, and then he did this, and then he went to this town, and he began to minister, and we see all this activity. In chapter 4, we see mainly his teaching. We see his teaching and explanation of that, and then at the end of the chapter, we see another demonstration of his power and his authority. But we see this teaching. What is this teaching telling us, and, and, and what is the message in his teaching? I think we'll see a common theme in these things that he teaches that shows what he's about and what he's doing. Let's take a look at that. Jesus does a unique thing in his teaching. He teaches in parables. What is a parable? Parables are stories that often have a veiled message. It's a story that gives a message, but sometimes the message is a bit hidden. And you got to search to find that message. Why does Jesus do that? Why a veiled message? Look at the first parable of the sower. A couple things I'm going to point out as we go through this that I think are key words or phrases that help unlock this for us. Verse 1, again he began to teach beside the sea. The first is teach. We see a little change in emphasis in what he's doing. Instead of doing, he, he stops and he begins to teach. And what do, who is he teaching? You can see he's teaching beside the sea. There's a reason why he's teaching beside the sea. Can I say it this way? He can't rent a hall big enough for all these people that come into here. Look what it says. He teaches beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered. I've circled that. A very large crowd. All right? Verse 2, and he was teaching them many things in parables. Parables. And so he goes through this first parable. You've heard this teaching quite a few times. And I think you'll understand what it's teaching. He says a sower went and he sowed some seed. And he gives four um, situations, four types of soil that the seed falls on. And he tells us what happens when the seed falls on that soil. So he says, you know, some of the seed fell along the path. The birds came and devoured. Some fell on rocky places or rocky ground. It sprang up immediately, but then the sun came and it, 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 
it was scorched. It withered away. Came up fast, went down fast. Third place is spread some seed among thorns. The thorns grew up and they choked out the seed and it yielded nothing. And in the fourth place, some of the seed find, happened to find some good soil. And when it fell on that good soil, it produced grain and it grew and it increased and it yielded, yielded an amazing fold. I'm told that um, a tenfold increase would be a successful um, increase, but this goes beyond that. It says 30-fold, 60-fold, even 100-fold, an amazing type of increase. And then Jesus says this at the end of the parable. Verse 9, you've heard this before. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. <laughs> he who has ears to hear, let him hear. What is he saying there? See, not everybody's going to understand what he's saying. You can get an understanding, get an understanding. Not everybody's going to understand that. Before he explains this parable, he tells the purpose of giving parables in verses 13 through 20. Excuse me, verse 10 through 12, the purpose of the parables. <clears throat> it says, verse 10, when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables. Jesus makes a distinction, doesn't he? There's two groups. What's the first group called, or how does he distinguish this group? Those around him with the 12. Remember he had called the 12 to himself? He's talking to them. Those around him with the 12. In fact, it starts off, verse 10, by saying, when he was alone. In other words, Jesus has separated himself from the very large crowd and he was alone with a select few. Those around him with the 12. And he says to that group, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom. And he distinguishes the next group by saying this, those outside. Those outside. So two groups, those around him with the 12 and those outside. Go back to verse 1. He began to teach beside the sea and a very large crowd gathered. That's to those outside. He gives them a parable. And he comes to a smaller group and says, to you has been given the secret. But for those outside, everything is in parables. It's a story with a veiled message, and they don't get it. They don't get it. Why don't they get it? Verse 12, so that they indeed may see but not perceive and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Well, it's not telling us exactly why they don't get it, but it's saying that they don't get it. They see, but they don't understand, or they don't perceive. They hear, but they don't understand. That's the difference between the two groups. One group is able to see and perceive. One group is able to hear and understand, and the other group can't. 
But why is that? He's going to begin to tell us. In fact, the parable itself speaks to that. Let's go back to his explanation of that parable, verses 13 through 20. He explains the parable, and you know the explanation. He says the sower is the word. And he says there's two, there's four types of soil, and only one produces. The seed is given out broadly, but only a select or small group produce the fruit. He's given a message. He said, it may be a very large crowd. And the seed is gone out. It's only going to produce in a small group, that good soil. And when it produces, you can say it's all kind of reasons why the seed doesn't produce. We can see along the path, Satan snatched it away. He's pictured as the bird coming and eating the seed. We see the rocky soil, and it's, it grows up quickly, but it doesn't last. And the sun comes and just scorches it. It's gone. We see the stuff by the thorns. It's choked out. It says the cares of this world. Choke it out. Doesn't produce a thing. But then a good soil, it produces. The good soil, it produces. I would say to you, we're going to look forward in the rest of the chapter and see the connection to this and what Jesus is saying. He's distinguishing between two groups the small, close-knit group that is close to him, whom he has chosen and those around them, and then there's a large outer group. Verse 21 through 25. You would think he's just adding a little something there, but does it fit the thing? It certainly does. He talks about a lamp under a basket, and he simply asks the question, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? He's saying, look, when you light a torch or a candle, you set it so that the light can be seen. That's what it's there for. You don't hide it under something, but you set it out to be seen. What is he talking about? Well, he's talking about the word. The word is going out and it's placed where it can be seen, but he's even more so talking about himself. He's on full display, like a lamp that's not hidden, but it's on a stand. So all can see. What's the problem? Some see and they don't perceive. Some hear and they do not understand. Jesus is saying this is the nature of the kingdom of God. This is how the word operates. And he wants his disciples, his apostles, those, that close-knit group, the true believers, if you will, he wants them to understand what he's doing and how things work. So they have insight into what's happening. You see, there was a wrong perception there, even among the apostles and the disciples, that the kingdom of God was just going to come in, boom, and everything was going to be great after that. 
that God was going to bring his Savior into the world. This Savior, this Messiah was going to come and he was going to rule forever and they would live happily ever after. That is part of God's plan, but they got God's timing wrong. That's still going to happen. But in the meantime, God says, I'm establishing my kingdom, and there's some different components to that that you need to understand. One is, the word goes out broadly, but not all receive it, and not all bear fruit. Secondly, the lamp is put out, but all aren't seeing it. They're not all getting it. Then the next one, the parable of the seed growing, verse 26 through 29. Just a few verses, so let's read that. And he said, the kingdom of God is, stop there. He said, I'm going to explain to you how this thing works. Remember when he started his ministry, he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's, it's coming on you. I'm bringing it to you. And now he's saying, it looks like this. This is how it's going to be. This is how it looks. This is how you would know it and recognize it. Verse 26, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day. The seed sprouts and grows. He, he, he knows not how. The earth produces by itself. First the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe at once, he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. What is he talking about? He says a couple things. It's like a man would scatter seed on the ground. He uses another analogy right there, a parable of sowing and, and seed. And he says the man sleeps and gets up day and night, and the seed sprouts. In other words, it sprouts without his, with, with, without his uh, doing. He says we give out the word, and the word does the work. It's not our doing. We don't give life. We simply speak the words of life. We plant the seed, and God gives the increase. Paul says, hey, some plant, some water, but God gives the increase. The man doesn't know how it happens. He's not saying the man is dumb. It's just like, like, he doesn't make the seed grow. He puts the thing in the ground and comes back, and whoa, whoa, look at there, a plant. That's how the gospel goes. We give the gospel out. It's not our power that makes it happen. God does that. It seems, it seems to be automatic when God does it. But how and what kind of process is happening? He knows not how. The earth produces by itself. First the blade, then the ear, then the full grain. He's saying, look, there's a gradual process of growth and expansion of the kingdom of God. And it's not by our power. It's not by our doing. We can't rush it. Can't slow it down either. It's God's doing. It happens over time. First, first it's just a little pop through the, through, through the soil. And then you see it grow after that. And you see it grow after that. Then what happens is that then it's harvest time. You're going to put forth the sickle and you're going to harvest. Now, you know that terminology has been used throughout Scripture. Harvest talks about the judgment time or the end of the age when everything will come before God and give account. 
That's the harvest. So he's saying this. Look, the kingdom of God is going to happen this way. Seed spread. It grows. You don't know how. And it grows in its own time at its own rate. And then the judgment and the harvest. He's explaining what's happening. Next, the parable of the mustard seed. Verses 30 through 34. Again, a simple explanation of the growth and expansion of the kingdom of God. Verse 30, he said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? It's like a grain of mustard seed, which, when sown on the ground, is the smallest of all seeds on the earth. Yet, when it is sown, it grows up and becomes, a large, becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. Again, he's talking about the simplicity, the growth, the expansion of the kingdom of God. He's saying, simply saying it starts out small. And it grows into something large. It starts off almost inconspicuous. And it grows into something large, something great. The kingdom of heaven was starting at the very time he was speaking these words. And it was starting in small ways or starting small just a small group. You see, they thought the big crowd would be it. Do you remember the time when they were overwhelmed with Jesus and they came and they bought their, their palm branches and they wanted to anoint him king right then and there? Hosanna. Hosanna to, 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 to in the highest. Hosanna. Praise be the Messiah. Let's, 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 let's get this thing started is what they were saying. But Jesus says, no, it's not really going to happen the way you think it's going to happen. There's a lot that needs to happen before this king takes over his kingdom in full power. He's got to die first. He starts off small. The seed is planted, and then it begins to grow gradually, but surely, and, and continually. The seed that's planted thousands of years ago and Jesus taught his disciples that he would die and he would be resurrected and he would send into heaven and he would send them or set them out to do his work of spreading the word. Guess what? The word has continued to spread to this day. Can you imagine that? Satan would love to have stopped that. And he's tried so many times. And yet today we hear the true gospel. You would think we just went through a series in Galatians, right? We saw the threat to the gospel with it being perverted and, and twisted. And all this time, there's a chance that that could happen. And yet the pure gospel has come to our ears. Is that not amazing? That God has reached out and given the gospel to us in its pure form today. We still have it. 
I think of February as Black History Month, and I think about the history uh, of my ancestors, of how we were, we, we, we were sold as slaves in Africa. We lived among tribal people, our own tribes in war against each other, capturing each other and selling each other into slaves as slaves to a foreign land. Boated long away over the entire ocean to a new land that we knew nothing about. And, and he, he, here's God's work in it. God took us from a land that worshipped many gods and were at such a, a, a animosity with each other that they would sell their own into slavery. He brought us here, or many of us here, as slaves. And yet and still, we heard the gospel because God intended to give the gospel to ancestors of ours so that they would be saved. How did he give the gospel? In some cases, he gave it to them by the same wicked and cruel slave masters that held them in bondage. And in some cases, it was given to them as a point to keep them as slaves but God but God God had another purpose in it he had a purpose of using his gospel to give the pure gospel to individuals he's calling to himself whether black or white he had a purpose for all of them and he brought the gospel to, so that to this day I can stand in this church and understand the word of God by the power of God. Give out the, the, the non-deluded, perfect word of God and souls are saved. The seed has not been corrupted. It's still pure and it's still doing its work and Satan cannot stop that. He would love to have stopped that, but he can't. The seed grows. You don't know how. In other words, against all odds, a little tiny mustard seed planted, insignificant, and now has grown up to be a great plant in the garden. There's a lot of stuff wrong with America. I understand that. But you need to know the gospel is alive and working in Milwaukee. You know, if we were the only church in Milwaukee, if we were, we're not. If we were the only church and only ones had the true gospel, do you know there'd still be more than Noah had in his day? The gospel has persevered and continued because it's been God's plan to do it. You see, some people think that, hey, this great crowd is going to bow down before uh, 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 and recognize the Messiah, and that's how the kingdom is going to grow that way. No, God, Jesus said, no, it's not going to really happen that way. Three out of four are going to reject the word, and they're going to be totally unfruitful, but there's going to be that small amount and from that small amount, God is going to grow his work in his kingdom. You see, Jesus is responding to a rejection of his authority. And he begins to teach that that's nothing new. This is part of God's plan and his work. And his plan is being executed and it's happening just as God determined it would.
Jesus doesn't have to change tactics. <laughs> he simply follows the plan of God. He's saying, a lot of y'all follow me. Out of fascination, you were part of the great crowd. But I know what's real. And I know when the seed is planted on good ground, it will yield good fruit. He's ministering to those in that good fruit. Can I just take a moment? Because I think I don't want to miss this part. There is it. Verse 32. In this parable of the mustard seed. Oh, verse 33. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable. But privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. When he talks about that lamp under a basket, in verse 23 he says this, If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Let's just take a moment to talk about that. Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. What is he saying? Measure, in the first occurrence there, has to do with attitude. The attitude, in other words, how you receive the word determines whether you understand it and whether you'll get more of it or not. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. In other words, if you are accepting of the word, you're going to get more of it. And you're going to understand, and God's going to give you the understanding to it. Who is he explaining the parables to? Remember the 12? They, they get him aside and say, Jesus, you're going to explain this? We won't quite, quite understand. He says, what do you mean you don't understand? How are you going to understand all the parables if you don't understand? And he, he begins to explain to them. But he doesn't explain to the big crowd. He explains privately to those who have, who have received his truth. He says, with the measure you use, it'll be measured to you. If you're open and you receive God's word, you're going to get more. He says it. Look. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. He's saying, be that good soil, and I'll continue to pour into you, explain to you, and help you understand my truth. But if you reject my word... I'm going to talk to you in parables. You ain't going to understand what's going on. Can you see him talking to the scribes and the Pharisees? <laughs> parables were often stories with veiled meanings. 
You remember there's times when he was speaking a parable and the Pharisees be like, he talking about us. They get mad. They knew he was talking about them, but, but, but they didn't get the spiritual understanding of what he said. In all of these parables, he's talking about them. Y'all to see by the, along the side. Satan can come up and took, took the seed, devoured it. You to see by, 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 by the rocky soil. You to see by the thorny soil. These are the ones by the good soil. You don't get it because you won't get it. <laughs> because you've rejected God's word. Remember as he began to deal, last chapter, he began to deal with those who had blatantly challenged his authority. He said he's not doing things by the power of God. He's doing it by the power of Satan. He says to those who have that thought and have rejected God, they'll receive nothing of God's truth. They hear, but they don't understand. They see, but they do not perceive. But to you, it's been given the secrets of the kingdom of God. It's amazing. It's wonderful that God has shared his truth and his word with us. Jesus did take time to explain it. They didn't get it automatically all the time, but he took time to speak his truth. He does that through the Holy Spirit. He does that through each other with us. But some people who don't want to hear it ain't here. And they ain't going to hear it. And they won't get more. Because they've rejected the little that they had. There's a principle in what Jesus is talking about. Now let's get to that last section in chapter, 30, chapter 4, verse 35 through 41. It's the story of the storm, and Jesus calms the storm. You already know what it's teaching. He's demonstrating his authority over all of his creation. It's amazing to me that the wind listened to Jesus and they stop. The sea settles down and pays attention. But human beings reject and even worse than reject, they call the word of God the word or the power of Satan. Now even to those who receive his word, he has a challenge to them. Look at that challenge. Verse 40. First, first verse 37. A great windstorm arose. Couple that with verse 38. He was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. Wait a minute. This is a great windstorm. But he's asleep. It shows the peace of the one who's in sync with the purpose of God and not under fret and fear. They wanted Jesus to worry too. Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? Why you ain't losing your mind like all of us? They wanted him to worry. They wanted to think that this type of worry is just right and natural when it's not. And he exposes that. He says this. Verse 39, he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. 
He spoke to the wind and the sea, and they listened. They recognized his authority. Remember, we even saw the demons, and those who are demon-possessed, recognize Jesus' authority. And so he asked them, verse 40, why are you so afraid? You know, they probably would say something like we would say today. I'm not afraid, I'm just concerned. Right. You got to understand, it's my daddy's boat. It's the only boat we got. It's what we make a living from. And, you know, we're in the middle of the sea, and there's a lot of stuff going on. I'm not afraid. I'm just concerned. He says, why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? Now, those are biting words. Because notice he's talking to a closer Nick. He's not talking to the great crowd. Because you can't get to that many in, in one boat. He's talking to that select too. He's talking to us. He's speaking to us. He said, if you've trusted me, trust me. If you've trusted me, trust me. You've got no reason to stop now. Why are you afraid? Well, well we, great storm. Of course I'm afraid. I'm here. I'm right here. But you sleep. Maybe you should be asleep too. If you had the same peace that I had, you'd be able to sleep. You'd be able to rest. Be able to find comfort. Why are you so afraid? He asked a question. Have you still no faith? <laughs> Has your faith not grown teensy weensy bit? He knows who he's talking to, and he challenges us. You see, the burden and challenges is continually to us, in spite of the circumstances, to follow him. What are the circumstances? The, the circumstances is, it's not a democracy. See, you don't take a vote and majority wins, and so Jesus must be right because most people are following him, right? The big crowd is following, they got to be right. No, it's, it's the exact opposite. Most people aren't following him. So you got to follow by faith, not by the crowd. You got to follow by faith, not by the circumstances. Circumstances are real. Still, Jesus asked the question, why are you afraid? Have you no faith? He's not accusing them. He's challenging them. Show your faith by real action. Real action is real trust is real holding on to him and settling with him. And they asked the question at the end, who then is this? The question Jesus wants us to ask, who is this person? Even the wind and the sea obey him. He's the same person that wants you to trust him in your daily walk. Trust him in spite of financial hardships. Trust him in spite of any threat, be it health, physical, any of those things that causes us to worry. 
He says, trust him. What worry is, is the opposite of faith. Who is this one? Look at him. Turn to him. Trust him. So he challenges even that small group close to him. You know who I am. You're learning who I am. Trust me. Father, we praise you for who you are. We thank you. Your word is coming to us and we can say amen because we are understanding it. Your Holy Spirit has given us the sense and the understanding. You're calling us to continue to trust you. It's not just a one-time thing and we trust Christ as Lord and Savior, but we continue walking in that faith and in that trust. Help us where we doubt. Open our eyes to see who you are in spite of the storms and to actually trust you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Leaders, would you come as we prepare for communion today? Communion reminds us of what Christ has done to earn our trust. He paid for our sin. His sacrifice, his life given to pay for our sin, measured in his body and in his blood. And so we do this to remember what Christ has done. We also do this to remember his promise that he's coming back again. And we look forward to that. The kingdom is not completed. But he's going to complete all that he said that he, he would. And so we find great hope and encouragement in that. I'm going to ask you to steal yourself for this moment as we prepare ourselves for communion. I've talked about this several times, but each, each time we have communion, each month we do it, we want to remember. It's a remembrance of what our Savior has done for us. We need to be saved and sure of that before we take part in this. We also need to be connected with him in right ways. If there's any sin that's, that's um, blocking our fellowship, we can clear that out the way, and we must clear it out the way. If we don't know Christ, we have no reason to take part in this. In fact, we shouldn't. If we know Christ and aren't walking in his ways, then we should confess that, turn from that before we do communion today. And so we're warned that we do this with great caution. We worship the Lord. We ask parents, as you walk with your children, to teach them privately before you come to church. You need to teach at church too, so you may tell them even though they want out of curiosity to take. They're not ready for that, and they shouldn't. You need to guide them in that way. And then we need to guide ourselves. Let's pray as we prepare for communion. I'm going to ask Brian if he lead us in prayer as we examine ourselves and prepare our hearts for receiving communion today. Calling us to be your people, Lord giving us eyes to be able to see and ears to be able to hear your word and to be able to look 
and judge our own behavior, Lord, and compare it to what your word requires. And so, Lord, we say that each man should examine himself, Lord. So help us to be honest in our examination. And as we compare ourselves to the word of God, Lord, we know that we fall short in many ways. But I pray, Lord, that if there is any who fall short um, with the intention of not obeying your word, Lord, those who are believers but have not been baptized, those who are believers but have a feud with some other believer that they have not resolved, those who are believers here who have every intention to leave here and commit a sin, those who heard the word today and are hardening their hearts against it. I pray, Lord, that you would call those to save themselves from your judgment. Repent now. And for those who have not repented, cannot resolve their issues, Lord, I pray that they would be humble and not take part in communion. But Lord, I also pray, Lord, for those who don't have those issues or some, they, some, there's a false thought of, well, I'm just not going to take communion regularly. And that's against your word as well. So I pray that we would celebrate what you have done for us, Lord. And it should be our every intention to come here and celebrate communion together in accordance with your word. In your name we pray. Amen. Cliff, would you lead us in prayer, giving thanks for the element of the wafer that represents Jesus' body. Then, Lawrence, if you would pray for the juice that represents Jesus' blood before we partake in it. Lord, we thank you for the, uh, the wafer this morning, Lord, that represents your body that you sacrificed for us, Lord. We should have been on Calvary's cross but you willingly gave your body for the remission of our sins, Lord. We, we thank you for that. And as we partake, that we will partake of your table, Lord, in a, a manner worthy of you. For Christ's sake, amen. I would just bow before you today, just thanking you for the juice that represents the blood that covers all of our sins, Lord. We just thank you for that blood washing us white as snow so that we stand before you, Lord. You don't see... Um, the iniquities that are um, uh, placed upon us through the sin and bondage that we are in, Lord, but we thank you that you see us as those who are free in the presence and the likeness of your Son. So we just thank you for that, and we just pray as we take this cup today that you allow us to go rejoicing in remembrance of this. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Our men will direct us from the back. We will um, come along the outer and pass on both sides. And then return to your seat. Um, take your cup back to your seat, and then I'll give you further instruction as we'll partake, partake of it together. I'm going to ask all to come just so that we can have a traffic flow. Even if you're not going to receive the cup, you can just walk past and return back to your seat. But would you come at this time?
There are two seals on your cup. If you would be careful just to pull back the first seal, you will get the wafer. I'm getting a little better at it now. There it is. And then the second seal will open up the entire cup for the juice. First of all, you would hold that wafer, remembering that this represents Jesus' body. God sent his son from heaven to take on a human body so that he could pay the price for the sins of those who would trust in him. This wafer doesn't become anything it's not mystical or magical in any way, but it does represent what Jesus did in taking on a human body so that he could be our Savior, the Savior, the one and only Savior for mankind. Let's remember our Savior as we eat together. When Jesus instituted this communion, he had bread that he passed around. He says, take and eat it. This represents my body. He had a cup of wine. He says, this represents my blood. And so we use this small container of juice that represents Jesus' blood. It was necessary for Jesus to be beaten, tortured, and killed on the cross to pay for my sin. It says in Isaiah, it pleased the Father to bruise him. Why? So that I could become his child. I can be reconciled to God. My sin would be totally paid for. That's what was necessary for my sin to be paid for, for me to be right with God. Jesus had to pay that price. I couldn't pay it for myself. Jesus had to pay it, and he did. By trusting in him, my sins are paid for. Let's remember Christ as we drink together. Jesus told his disciples he looked forward to when they would participate in this in the new kingdom. But it tells us that what we do today will be done for all of eternity. We'll remember Jesus and what he's done. That will count forever. That is significant in all of eternity, what Jesus did. In the book of Revelation, we see the saints saying, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive honor and glory and riches and power. He's worthy. He will always be worthy. And so as we leave this place, we serve him because he's our Savior. We serve him because he's worthy. And so that's not just a Sunday thing. That's all 24-7 that we worship and we honor him. Let's stand together as we close in a word of prayer. Andy, would you thank God for this time together, and then close us in prayer. Lord, we just come to you and we just thank you for the opportunity to take communion. We just thank you for the sacrifice that you paid for us, Lord. Um, we think of it being Valentine's as a time of 
focusing on love and there's no greater love than love that you did for us by allowing yourself to be tortured and killed to pay this price for the sins of, of all of us. We just thank you so much for that, Lord, and there is nothing that we can do to even repay that. It is purely out of your love. Um, we ask that you just be with us as we go forth from here, and we just thank you for um, all the time that we have to fellowship together. In your name we pray.